Hey, let me add my word of welcome to you today. We're glad to have you. I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online at home as well. So glad that you're here. We're in a series about David, and we're going to be talking about different things about David's life for five weeks. We're in the third week today. A couple of weeks ago, we started. Now, last Sunday, I wasn't here. Steve Irwin had COVID, and I went out and preached at the beach last week. So your prayers were answered. I wasn't preaching. Carmen was here. Uh, but I'm back today. Uh, so anyway, I'm glad that you're here today. Glad that you could be a part of the service. Uh, but I had a good time out there. You know, I called it worship in the wind last week because it was so windy out there at the beach. And I think a lot of folks came over here to this service because it was so windy there. But anyway, we're, we're glad to see you today. Now, this particular sermon, I think, is a great message about David. And there's aspects of David's life you're more familiar with than others. This one you may not be as familiar with, but it's a great message to hear, and I, I pray that it'll be meaningful to you. Now, we said the first week, and our theme through this series is what David said, In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long. And we're going to be emphasizing that. Now, let me tell you why that's meaningful to me. Because David really believed that, and David wanted to practice that. And there were times in his life when he did practice that well. But there were other times in his life when he did not practice that well, and he failed. And it makes me feel so much better that David, in the Old Testament, who killed Goliath, who was a man after God's own heart, was human. Hey, amen? Amen. Doesn't that make you feel better? Because you can relate to that, can't you? Because we're not perfect, are we? Look at the person next to you and say, you're not perfect. Go ahead and tell them right now. <clears throat> yeah, that felt way too good for some of you, I can tell. Okay? But guess what? They were looking right back at you, and they let you know as well. But I'm, I'm just so grateful that we don't have to be perfect. You know, God doesn't call us to perfection. He calls us to pursuit. And when he takes us to heaven, he'll make us perfect. Amen? And so we're grateful for that. So look at this message today. Now, everybody's familiar with the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But sometimes you want to pray, do unto others as others have done to you. And you want to get even. Do you ever want to get even? Don't just act like you're righteous in church. I know, I know. Sometimes we want to get, but here's the problem with getting even, okay? The problem with getting even is that it makes you even with somebody you don't even like. In other words, why do I want to stoop down to their level and be even with them? I want to rise above that. I want to be better. I want to be more like God. That's who he's called me to be, right? And so that brings us to part three of our series today. And today Today's story, we pick up David during the fugitive years. He's running. He's trying to save his life. King Saul is trying to kill him. He's living off the land. He's got this big army of men who are traveling with him. He's trying to stay away from the Philistines, but he's also not welcome in his own country. And so here's where we begin this message in 1 Samuel. Now look, 
There's a lot of scripture today, but it's all on the screen. So stay with me because there's a payoff, okay? It says a certain man of Mon, that's the way you pronounce that, Mon. You didn't know that, did you? See, you've already learned something. A certain man in Mon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats, 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel, okay? His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. Now, why is it Why is it that beautiful women marry jerks? That's what I want to know, you know? And I guess you could just ask my wife, Laura, why it's like that, you know? But, but here's the story, and this guy, he lives up to his name. We're going to find out more about that, okay? So he, he actually, nobody likes this guy. In fact, his name actually means fool, and he lives up to his name, okay? The story continues, and it says, While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. And he says, so he sent 10 young men and he said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that sheep shearing time is now. He says, when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Okay? So he's telling them what he's doing, how he's taking care of them. David is saying the reason that you're making a profit the reason that you've got these sheep is because my men encamped around them. They protected the sheep. They protected the shepherds. Nobody came in there and took anything. Now, we didn't take anything. Nothing was stolen from you. And so we were good to you today, right? And it goes on. He says, ask your servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men. Since we have come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. In other words, we've been good to you. Could you be good to us? We're living off the land. We'll take what we can get, right? When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? And who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. In other words, who's this David guy? I don't know David, and I don't know these men, and I don't owe him anything, and I don't owe you anything. And so then he goes on and he says, Why should I take my bread, my water, and the meat that I've slaughtered for, for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back, and when they arrived, they reported every word to David that David said to his men. And David said to his men, Each of you strap on your swords. Okay, now, this is the part in the movie where the music goes, dun, dun, dun. I mean, you can tell it's not going to go well at this point because this man who is a fool has acted foolishly, and David is going to go point that out to him in a way that he can understand. And so they did, he said. David strapped on his sword as well. 
So there, and about 400 men, 400, he only took 400, 400 men went up with David and he left 200 there to stay with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. <laughs> Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing went missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time, and they were herding our sheep near them. David sent his men to protect the herd. The fact that they didn't steal anything is amazing. Now, think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man and no one can talk to him. Now, that's one of his servants talking about the guy, okay? And look what Abigail does. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five says of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on the donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, and I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal, okay? And so that's what happens. As she came riding up on her donkey into the mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward them, and she met them, okay? And then what happened? Um, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey. She bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Now, I want you to catch this. This is a wealthy woman. This is a woman who's married to a wealthy, influential man. David is a fugitive. He's running from King Saul. Any day, he's going to be caught and killed. Nobody's going to remember his name. He's just out there in the wilderness. She gets down, and she treats him like royalty. David is an outlaw. He's not somebody that you don't want to associate with. But, but what does she do? She treats him very respectfully. She's a wealthy woman married to an influential person, but she bows down to David and she begins to treat him as if he has already become the man she believes that he will become. So Abigail, she is so smart. She saves the day. She begins to speak to David's potential. Don't you just love this story? Because after all, the women always outsmart the men, don't they? I mean, if you want to get the right answer, just ask a woman, right? She'll know what to do. It's uh, us guys, we're just kind of doofuses sometimes, and we don't make the right choice. But boy, she does. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Now, she's not his servant, but she's acting subservient, okay? Please pay no attention, uh, my Lord, to the wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. In other words, when you sent your guys around to get some help, I wasn't there. I didn't know what you had done, okay? And then she goes on. And now, my Lord, 
As surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. In other words, I know that you're really not going to do what you're planning to do right now to my whole household. May your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal and let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. And, and as she gives him credit, she's given him credit for being the man that he, she thinks he can be. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. She's speaking to the future. She's saying, David, God is up to something great in your life. God has a plan for your life. Your future is secure. God is protecting you because you fight the Lord's battles and no one, no, no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. You're not a wrongdoer, David. You're a good man. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound secret, securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. In other words, I know Saul's out to get you. Everybody knows Saul's out to get you, but God has delivered you. Saul can't kill you because God's protecting you. And Abigail, she then moves into some amazing imagery. She takes David back to when he was 15 years old. She takes him back to when he has to fight Goliath, the giant. And what's he doing? He's putting all his faith and trust in God. It's in the Lord's hands. Hey, this is the Lord's battle, and I'm going to go down there and fight, but God is going to win the victory. And she starts talking about that, and this imagery comes up, and she says, but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. She's talking about his slingshot. She's heard about his legend. She knows about David. Everybody knows about David. And she's saying, you're a great guy. I know what you've done. And all of a sudden, he's back in that moment when he's going down there to fight Goliath. And he was completely dependent on God. And now what's he doing? He's taking matters into his own hands. See, he, he, he has been convicted by what he's doing. He's not doing what he did before. He's not putting his trust and his faith in God. He's saying, put on your swords. I'm going to put mine on too. We're going to go down and teach this guy a lesson. In the next session, she essentially asks, what story do you want to tell? David, when you tell your life story, when you talk to your kids and your grandkids, what do you want to tell them happened today? Do you want to tell them that you just killed all these people and there was all this bloodshed? Or do you want to tell them you took the high road and you did what God would have done and you, you made an example of yourself for them? And here's what she said. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. Don't you just love this message? I mean, I get excited preaching this sermon. It's a great sermon because it's a great story to tell. And she goes on and on and on talking about David and what's happening. 
David's heart is just melting. I mean, he's just turned to butter. He's just said, you know, she's right. You know, she's right. what she's saying. That's the right thing to do. And now, all of a sudden, his temper, his anger, all that, it's just diffused. She's so smart. She's done such a good job. And now, he's not thinking about doing what he was thinking about doing before. He's not trying to take matters into his own hands. He's listening to this smart woman. And he comes to his senses. And he starts looking at it from her perspective. And David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. In other words, you are an intelligent woman. And I sure am glad you got here before I got there because you really made a difference. May you be blessed for your good judgment. Amen. What a good word. You sent the food down here before you came. You sent your servants ahead. And now you've shown up here and you've been bowing down to me. And you've been telling me how great I am and what great things I can do. And you've just melted all that away. Praise be to God for sending you to me at such a time as this. And for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Then... David accepted from her hand what she had brought from him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Wow. Now look what happens. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king, and he was in high spirits. In other words, he was very drunk, the Bible says. And she says to herself, you know, I don't think this would be a good time to bring this up. I'm not going to mention this to him right now. I'm going to wait until he's sober. And so that's what she does. And the next morning, this is what happens. She told him nothing at all until daybreak. Now listen, then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Things didn't work out too well for him, did they? Then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. You don't have to ask me twice. I'm coming your way, David. You're going to be a great man because I'm going to tell you how great you are every day and you're going to become that. And in summary, don't you love this? We got three characters. We got three responses, but we just have one hero in this story. Nabal, what does he do? He returns evil for good. David took care of his sheep. He took care of his shepherds. What did he do? He said, I'm not going to share anything with you. Who are you? I don't know you. David was about to return evil for evil, which in their culture, that's what they did back then. We're going to see that in just a minute. But Abigail looks at it completely differently. Through her lens, she has a different perspective. And she returns good for evil. Nabal was maniacal. Nobody wanted to be around him. David was predictable. I'm going to go show him. I'm going to let him know right now. We're going to straighten this out. You can count on that. But Abigail, Abigail was remarkable. Abigail's story the whole story is remarkable. 
And here's a sense in which she was ahead of her time. During that time, the nation of Israel had a covenant with God. It's the old covenant. It's what we read about in the Old Testament today. And the old covenant, returning evil for evil was okay. The Bible says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So David was getting ready to do that, wasn't he? Abigail was ahead of her time because she was practicing the new covenant, the New Testament. We didn't have that until Jesus showed up and he turned everything upside down. In fact, the, the people around the apostle Peter who saw Jesus unjustly arrested and crucified wrote these words in 1 Peter. Jesus said, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. And that's what Peter taught, and that's what Abigail did. Repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. And where did Peter get that idea? To return good for evil. He got it from watching Jesus. And Jesus said in Matthew, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Listen, refusing to act and respond in kind might be the most Christ-like thing you and I ever do. And in closing, there are three questions I want to ask. The first question is, do you really want to be even with somebody you don't even like? Why would I stoop down to their level and act the way that they have acted? I need to rise above that. They'll respect me, and maybe I'll be a witness to them, and I will be an example of who God is like and what he calls us to do. The second question is, what story do you want to tell? Down in the future, as time goes on, you've got children, you've got grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren. They say, tell me about your life. What would you do? You don't want to tell them that you went and wasted all those people that day and took them out. You want to say, you know what? They were ugly to me, but I took the high road because you want to teach them to do the same thing because that's what God does. And boy, we don't like to do it, but that's what we're called to do, okay? And then the third question is, What would it look like for you to return good for evil in your specific situation? What would it look like for you to bless someone who has hurt you and offended you? I'm not talking about just not doing anything to them. I'm going to leave them alone because that would be mercy, right? I'm I'm just not going to respond. I'm going to be merciful. But what if you did something nice for somebody who was ugly to you? Now, you know what that is? That's grace. And that's what Jesus did. I mean, they killed him, and he died and sacrificed his life for you and me. Now, that's grace. And listen, I'd much rather have grace and mercy any day than what I deserve, wouldn't you? Amen? And so if you're a Christian, that's where your story intersects with the story of salvation. 
When you look at what happens in this story, you see what you are supposed to do as a Christian. The greatest story ever told was when God sent his son to die for you and me, even though we didn't deserve it. And he did that. And he returned good for evil. And that's the thing that'll set you free. Because when you start loving somebody and praying for somebody who's ugly to you, somebody who's an enemy to you, you just have that burden lifted and you start to release it and let it go. And you say, you know what, Lord, you just take care of that. I don't have to worry about getting even with them. That's your job. You keep score. I'll just keep doing what you call me to do. I'll let you do what's right for them. When you're proactively acting, the way you're supposed to act, then you are acting just like your Father in heaven. And that's the way we're called to be. So that's what David and Abigail would tell us today. And that's what Jesus tells us. Don't settle for even. Do precisely what they don't deserve. Act like your Father in heaven. I hope you'll embrace that concept. Your Father in heaven, what he's done for you, that's the standard that we're called to live by. Peter's language, it's what he's calling us to do in our own specific circumstances. What would it take for us to return good for evil? I've been hearing some things recently, and I called a preacher friend of mine this past week. And I talked to him because he's a retired preacher, and he's the pastor emeritus of a church he served for many, many, many years. In fact, he built a lot of buildings while he was there, and when they finished, they were debt-free. And his name is on one of the buildings, and he's the pastor emeritus of that church. But right now, the church is struggling, and they're fussing. And the reason is because some people want to disaffiliate like we did, and some people don't want to disaffiliate. And so I'm so thankful that we could have a gracious exit and we could vote on that and we let the majority rule and we did that years ago. But what's happening there is that now because this retired minister is on the side of disaffiliation and the existing pastor is not, now he's not allowed to come on the campus. He's the pastor emeritus. And the district superintendent told him, he said, what he said was, hey, I want to come. I want to meet with the preacher. I want us to have a prayer meeting together, bring all the people of the church together. Let's see if we can't bring some healing and peace to this situation. And the district superintendent said to him, you are not to be visible on the campus. People are calling him, asking him to do funerals and weddings. He's saying, I'm sorry, I can't do it. The district superintendent won't allow me to come on the campus. They say, what? Repeat that. Did I hear you right? Now, let me ask you a question. It was bad enough that they got into this fuss, but then when he was told he couldn't come on campus, how's that going to help the situation? I mean, you talk about foolish. And so what they did was, is they stacked the deck and they had an administrative board meeting and they voted 33 to 22 not to let the church vote about their future. And so they decided they would stay in the Methodist. 33 people decided for 5,000 members what they were going to do. And people are leaving there in droves and they're taking their money with them and there's no way that they'll be able to stay open. 
And if they have to sell because they go broke, those people have deep pockets. They'll just turn around and buy it back, take it over again. It's just so tragic to me that it's gotten to this. That preacher, we talked for a long time. I told him about our attorney. He called me back. We talked some more. He called me back that day. He called me about four times that day. And then there was a lawyer in his church. I know that guy. And he called me. And he said, tell me about this lawyer that you had. And I told him, gave him the number. I said, call him up. He's helped churches all over the country. Those people, <laughs> those people are about to respond to what has happened up there. So I want to ask you, David said, in you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long. I'm not going to tell you the name of the church, but I am going to ask you to pray for that, that situation and pray for God's will to take place there. Pray for the peace and pray that it won't be some political move, but it'll be God's will. And they'll, the majority will be able to determine what God is calling them to do. Father, I just pray that we might pray the prayer of David and we might live in that way. And even when we fail, Lord, we might get up tomorrow and start all over and ask you to forgive us and help us cleanse us from all unrighteousness and lead us to be the people that you've called us to be. May we rise to the occasion and be the examples that you want us to be. We pray in your son's name. Amen.